make sure to start recording. Um, episode notes. You start How my stopwatch. Uh, it's been lovely. I happy Valentine's Day, Aisha. Happy Valentine's Day, Mames. How are, how are you? You are my Valentine, so you are my Valentine as well. Um, wow. Well, it was funny. We were doing this exercise for one of our classes with our students of like map out the three lives that you imagine yourself living, like the one that you're sort of on track for right now, your backup one, and your dream one. Mm-hmm. And in all of that, like I wrote in a big heart. Uh, my dog's name, not my partner's name. Um, and I was like, oh no. <laughs> Wait, not my name? <laughs> not your name. I did I did draw a picture of myself with big headphones with the podcast like okay. there. So you are in my dream life. I know. Um, you are there somewhere, um, you and my dog. Um, so, but yeah, today I made Turkish style poached eggs. Uh, wow, fancy. Really good. They Very were not that fancy. Of you. <laughs> they just sound fancy, but they're not in fact. What, what, that what are Turkish style poached eggs? What's the difference? So um, you use so you make a like a spiced butter. So you put cayenne, turmeric, and paprika, mm. um, and then you put a little bit of garlic paste um, and sesame into Greek yogurt, um, and you poach some eggs and you just slap it all together. And I had some like bread, um, some French bread, Wait, and that, that was delicious. It. It was so good. It was delicious. Do you know what I don't have? My microphone. <laughs> oh, that would be helpful. Oh, uh, my audio has been sounding weird this whole time. We might need to start again. You actually Stop don't that. sound weird, which is interesting. Okay. Well, when you plug in, maybe I'll catch a difference, but you sound the same. You mentioned that you had an idea for Namaste Wahala. I don't want to put you on the spot on mic, but like, what was your idea? So my <laughs> idea was that everyone goes out and sort of watches Namaste Wahala on their own time, like in their own little watch parties, whatever. And then we'll share a link uh, probably on our Instagram bio or on our stories or something where they can like just record their immediate reactions and we compile some of them and like put them on our next podcast of just like, what are people's well, be cool. immediate reactions to this movie? Um, and I thought that would be a fun way to uh, watch together without like having to coordinate you know, 12 different time zones. Yeah. Yeah. Cause our issue was like, we have people listening in India and on the West coast and in Nigeria and in London. And we were trying to figure out a good time for everyone to watch. And it, the time does not exist. The time does not exist. (laughs) So yeah, that's actually a much better idea. I'm hoping to watch it this week. So I will, maybe we tell people to upload their reactions by the, like the 20, the 26th or something like by the end of the month and then we can have it uploaded in our next episode yeah i love that idea so keep an eye out um for it's called sound pipe there'll be a sound pipe link um where you can upload your reactions and we'll compile some of our favorites and share them out to the world so people can enjoy (laughs) okay perfect 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 um well happy valentine's day happy uh lunar new year that was also this weekend that was was. really fun year of the ox Year of the Ox, maybe. Apparently, people born in 93 are going to have a very good year. Inshallah. I mean, that would be great. (laughs) I was told that last year, but this year, everyone was like, no, Aisha, like, this is going to be a good year for people born in 93. I was going to say, didn't you send a screenshot of what 2020 was supposed to look like for the year of the rooster? And I have to say, (laughs) none of that rang true. 
<laughs> yeah, I was in Singapore um, for Lunar New Year last year with a friend of ours, Sonia, and there was just so much going on. And like for each zodiac sign, they would tell you what was happening in the next year. And I took a picture of the sign that said, oh, yeah, for, for the year of the rooster, it's going to be an, 2020 is going to be an amazing year. There's going to be all this stuff happening. And we got the pandemic. But you know what? I, I did take that picture in like a random mall. So maybe that wasn't the most legit advice. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, well, maybe this year, everything in the world will be different and better because that's how Inshallah. it works, right? Yeah. That's how it works. Everything, everything gets magically better. I did find out this weekend that um, um, Ramadan is in eight weeks. Just FYI. <gasps> It's How does it get up. here so quickly? Every, Every year, year it sneaks up on me. Every year. To be, to be fair, it's a lunar calendar situation. So it's not like we just forget. It, it really does sneak up earlier every year. Every time. Um, but I feel like it's going to be nicer because it's going to be like um, April this year. So not as hot and as sunny mm -hmm. as like when it was in the summer. So we'll see. Yeah, the days will be a bit shorter. Um, last year... I did keep every fast, which was oh, minus one. I kept every fast minus one, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, which I've not done in many years, but that was really special because I did it with my sister. We would get up every day um, and make like very elaborate breakfasts in like complete silence. Like most people do their, their sehedi or suhud or however you pronounce it. Um, like they just like eat cereal really fast, like five minutes before. My sister and I would get up like 45 minutes before the deadline and like make a three course breakfast. Oh, wow. And, but again, in just dead silence, we, I was, I would, I burned through, I think every season of Golden Girls, just watching it during my breakfast um, while I was bake like, like cooking and eating it. Um, I get the dead yeah. silence thing though, because my brother and I did that. We would wake up and we would just, you know, plate our food and then not speak to each other and literally just sit apart like in different parts of the room. Oh yeah, we would sit, we never sat next to each other. We sat on opposite ends of the table. Um, and the only thing we would say is like, hey, just so you know, there's five minutes left. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we would let each other know, like, by the way, you have to pray in like two minutes. Okay, great, just chug water and then go, go inside. The okay, pressure well, we'll to see. chug water though, right before is so, so real. Oh, It's very stressful. And then you're like, I know if I don't do this now, it's going to hurt, but then later I'm going to regret it. I'm and then you, have, it. you psych yourself out. Um, it's an extreme sport. Name me an extreme sport more <laughs> <Ramadan>. than that. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. Looking forward to it. Hopefully it'll be an, a blessed Ramadan. And, you know, like the predictions say, this will be a good year for uh, class of 93 or people born in 93. Um, welcome to, it's kind of a funny story. I'm Aisha. I'm Mariam. Each week we delve into different moments in history where pop culture and politics collide. Yay. <laughs> we did it. We did it, Jill. Um, so the 36 question today is a question I believe I, I think this is mine. Um, is there a concert you wish you could go back in time to watch live? Yes. Um, so it's a cliche answer, but I would love to see the Beatles in their prime. I think that that would be amazing. Like I would want to go to like their Shea Stadium show. And I think it was like 1964 or something. Um, and just be with like 50,000 people all dancing to Twist and Shout. Because Ooh, that'd be how incredible would that be? Um, and I remember like, I'm not, you know this about me. I'm not like a naturally fangirl type personality. Um, and I remember me. as a Unlike, unlike you and many others in my life, <laughs> all hard and fast for many things. Um, 
cultural I don't obsessives. have that. That's what we're called. Cultural curators, cultural obsessives. You know, we, we have all sorts of names. So am I like a cultural nihilist? Like, I don't, I don't know what that makes me. <laughs> I think it just makes you someone with a life. Um. <laughs> that's a very, that's a very bold way of putting it. Um, but I remember watching like a documentary or like footage or something of the Shea Stadium or like, I don't even know if it was Shea Stadium, but it was like of that time and thinking, wow, I hope I love something as much as all of these people loved the Beatles. Like, just like the level of like, ardor and fandom and all of that I was like that's just incredible and it would be so fun to be like swept up in that so that is my that is my answer that's interesting that you like you see that and you think oh I wish I had that like adoration and like excitement um because yeah yeah, it is I mean it was unparalleled at the time like you you later would have like Michael Jackson you could compare like Beyonce to it as well but it's it's it was un what's the word I'm looking for unprecedented I guess at the time I, w- I mean, it must have been because, right, like, even if you think of artists before, like Sinatra and others, maybe, but the level of, the way that Sinatra, like, got his sound out or, like, people knew about him, I don't think is at the same level at which, like, the technology wasn't there, like, things didn't move as quickly. Beatles um, So by the time you got to the 60s, yeah, it was just a whole other level of stardom, right? I think it's, like, the first major, like, crazy paparazzi, like, just would madness. you okay would you want to be like you know someone who knows someone who did the the set design so you are in the green room you're in the wings of the stage and you can like you can see all of them and maybe get to chat with them after or would you want to be deep in the crowd just vibing like feeling you know feeling all of the emotion that everyone's feeling because I struggle with that with bands that I really love I I mean for this prompt I read it as like vibing mm-hmm. I think backstage would probably be a different answer but I don't know what it would be yeah I don't know that's interesting I yeah I'd read it as vibing as well but I often think like if for some reason you know I got the opportunity to be backstage with like my favorite artist or someone I really adore would I actually want that like would I actually want to be perceived (laughs) because I would be like freaking out in front of them instead of in a crowd where they can't see me I also have the fear of like being disappointed. I think we've, the last couple of years have been so much uh, being disappointed by the people we like. Yeah. This was, this, this episode, even today, researching like Super Bowl, I was like, wow, I'm so disappointed in everybody. (laughs) Like, I hate everybody. Every single person is a disappointment. I know too much now. (laughs) That's why you don't ever look up to artists and public figures. Anyways. Oh, my answer. My answer is the same as when I created this question. It's Paul Simon's Concert in the Park, August of 1991. It's a great album. It's on Spotify, the whole live concert. Every time he's in literally in Central Park, it's beautiful. It's post Graceland. Like the vibes are just uh, perfect. And every time he says like the words New York, literally the entire crowd just screams and they get so excited and you can just feel the energy there. Um, So Paul Simon's Concert in the Park is my choice. And then also, I think a lot about Mariah Carey um, at the Tokyo Dome in 1996. I listened, she, she actually released, finally released like an album or a set of songs specifically from that performance because they're so like, everyone's always looking for them on YouTube. Like her voice was just at its peak. She does this amazing run um, during the song Emotions where she's just going higher and higher and higher. Like kind of what Ariana Grande tried to repeat in 
uh, well, Ariana Grande tries to repeat all the time, to be honest, in, in homage to Mariah. I'm not saying she's trying to step on Mariah, but definitely in homage to Mariah's like amazing voice. So Mariah the Tokyo Dome is my close second, but it's, it's always going to be Paul Simon. No, I mean, he's my fave. Paul Simon is your is your first love, I think. Um, he truly is. You and your mom. <laughs> yeah, me and my um, mom and Mindy Kaling. <laughs> yeah. Uh, honestly, just the three of you at that concert together would be amazing. Like a, a show of three, like the three of you in the audience and just Paul Simon in Central Park. I think that I would I would watch you watch Paul Simon in the park. You would be watching me cry, maybe. <laughs> probably um that um, is a good one so yeah so that's it actually I feel like so much has happened in the last two weeks since we've spoken yes there's like we like you know we have been texting back and forth about what to talk about today and yes. there's just there's a lot of ground to cover on a lot of various topics so this is like a slightly different setup than what we usually do but different format we wanted, we wanted to just talk about a lot today so so let's well, let's get into all the things that are on our mind well, first of all, I want to say like the original concept for this episode was to kind of go through our favorite Super Bowl performances, kind of like how we did with the SNL episode, you know, kind of go back and forth yeah. and talk about them. Um, except like we didn't look up the date of the Super Bowl, at least I didn't. I had no idea when it would be. So <laughs> we scheduled it like to come out two weeks after the Super Bowl. Um, so it didn't make as much sense to just talk about random performances as well after the Super Bowl was already done. And then, yeah, like you said, there was just there's just been so much going on. Um, I guess we can start with the Golden Globes. Golden let's, Globe nominations. Yes, let's definitely talk about that. Yes. Okay. I this is the first year in a really long time that I've just not been invested at all. It, I think it's pandemic fatigue. I just haven't been watching a lot of the movies that are, are supposed to be nominated, and like I just couldn't get involved in the conversation. And then as soon as I saw the amount of Emily in Paris nominations, I was like, Does everyone just want to hang out with Phil Collins? Is that it? Like. Is that why Lily Collins was nominated so much? Why? And then when you found out that like I May Destroy You was snubbed, which is the um, TV show by Michaela Cole, who's like a, a Black British writer and the creator of I May Destroy You, just kind of reminds you that, you know, the Golden Globes, uh, the, Hor the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, which are the group of people that nominate the Golden Globes, you know, there's only 90 of them. They do chase stardom, you know, they do their nomination process isn't as rigorous as like the Oscars or, you know, like the Grammys. And so oftentimes you will find that they've picked someone not because they were talented or did really well in that role. It's just because they want to hang out with them or, you know, give them a, a fancy award. So that was disappointing. Um, but in, in, a, in a weird twist of events, so last night I watched Minari Mm. which is um, a film, um, it's uh, by a Korean-American director called Lee Isaac Chung. He is, it's a kind of a, an autobiography a little bit, of the, the film, and it's essentially just an immigrant story. It's about like a Korean-American family in the 80s trying to build a farm. 
and kind of the ups and downs of that and all of the familial tensions. And I watched it last night and it was so good. It, it made me feel like alive again. It made me just really excited to watch movies again. And, you know, now I want to go back and watch all the other movies that I've missed or, you know, people have spoken about that are really, really good. And um, it's, it's interesting to the Golden Globes discussion because the film, which is an American movie, it's produced by an American studio. Um, the director's American. The, um, the main actors are Korean American, but it's been relegated to the foreign language film, a section of the Golden Globes because most of the movie is in Korean. And it's, it's something that came up in the Oscars um, a couple of years ago as well, um, in a different way where the Nigerian film Lionheart, which is um, a film completely Nigerian, um, but because Nigeria is a country that, you know, our main language is English, a lot of the film is in English. So that film wasn't allowed to be a best foreign film in the Oscars because a lot of the, yeah, exactly, because a lot of the, dialogue was in English. But if you make a Nigerian film, a film that's meant to be entirely Nigerian, it's very, very difficult to make it in any other language but English because there's so many languages and so many people that speak those languages that like you'd be excluding groups if you made it in any other language. Um, so that, that's kind of like back and forth about what is foreign, what is not, um, what English, like what speaking English has to do with something being foreign is very interesting to me. And it's very sad in the case of Minari because the it means it was blocked out of like the best film category when it was relegated to the foreign film category. And I don't know about you, but I think that like the storyline is quintessentially American. It's like an immigrant American story that a lot of people can relate to. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's an important point, right? I think about this a lot these days of what people consider American, what people don't consider American. Um, and there, there is like still this desire to consider non-white stories automatically not American stories. Like that's just, that's just still where we're at. Right. And I think that is reflected in so much of like the dialogue of what's going on in the world today. And yeah, that's, that's not a novel, that's not a novel sentiment, but I think this is just such an interesting um, kind of symptom of that. So maybe we get there one day, maybe we acknowledge that immigrant stories are part of the American narrative, but I think we're just so far away from like, from embracing that, right? We're seeing, it's interesting you talk about Benari because there's been a lot of talk also online of the huge increase in anti-Asian uh, American kind yeah, of violence. hate crimes and violence. Yeah. Um, and that, suddenly we're, we're tapping back. Well, I, not that it ever went away, right? I think one of the interesting things that I have been reading about is a lot of people are like, make sure you talk about, um, you know, anti-Asian discrimination in your anti-racism, like, work. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the leading thinkers on anti-racism work are like, if you have to say it, you're doing anti-racism work wrong. Like, it should all be it should be all in there because like you talk, like the conversation is not about being anti-black or anti-Asian or whatever. It's about white supremacy. And so white supremacy is like kind of what is at play here. Um, and that like any story that is not white is very secondary. So it's sad. It's frustrating. It's unsurprising. I don't know. And I, well, I, so I think also, well, I spoke really quickly there. Um, I think that, you know, there's an, 
there's a t it's, there's a temptation to be like it's just an award show like it doesn't matter it's 90 people who remembers who won the golden globe in 2005 for like best film I actually don't remember, but like, I'm sure there's someone who does remember, but it's not important. But actually, th this authorization is important because like, it does, in some way play into like the anti Asian rhetoric and the, um, the racism and the discrimination. And then on a second level, it also um, plays into like the financial success of the actors and people involved in these movies. If you relegate them just to best foreign film, they're not going to get as much money as the people who were given, you know, best film and then they won't be able to make more stories that kind of show the entire breadth of their communities and that leads to more otherization more discrimination etc cetera, etc cetera. so like it, it sounds silly but but i think these things are important and it's sad to me that their uh, the hollywood fallen presses um definition of what is an american film and what isn't is just so you know so like one note yeah, and uh, to your point, it's not just about which movies end up succeeding. It's about like how studios decide what gets made, right? If they feel like um, a movie in another language uh, is not going to be able to garner awards in the same way, they're not as likely to make those movies. Um, and it all like kind of cycles together of what stories end up being on the front lines. Um, and so people are like, why aren't there more representative stories out there? It's stuff like this. All of this adds up to what people decide to make and what stories are told. So um, I agree with you. I think there's, when I was like kind of reading into this, there's a lot of kind of conflicting thoughts on like, why does it matter? But I think you're totally spot on that it, it does matter, not because Golden Globes themselves matter, but because of what it means for storytellers and what uh, movies are made and how people think about what is an American movie and what is not. I think that's inherently super important. Um, I also would want to touch uh, more deeply on like the I May Destroy You snub, um, which is really interesting because I don't know if you remember, uh, I'm sure you remember, but like there was the whole like Golden Globes so white, kind of the Academy, like Oscars so white, like all of that last year were like these trending uh, Twitter hashtags and people were talking a lot about it. Um, and so if you don't know the show, I May Destroy You, you mentioned it. Um, it's written by Michaela Cole, um, who is a black British uh, writer. Um, and it's, I would 100% recommend it. I will say I couldn't watch it all in one sitting because it was extremely triggering. Um, yeah. And it was very emotional in that it was probably one of the most accurate and like real depictions of how people cope with trauma after sexual assault. And also a lot of the more insidious ways that sexual assault happens. So um, like stealthing, which is when you like remove a condom without your partner's consent or, you know, gaslighting women into doing things that they don't want to do. Like all of that stuff that um, doesn't seem as obviously quote unquote violent um, or like a, like there's a, a real, like a quote unquote villain as you would see in Promising Young Women, for example. I don't know if you've watched that yet. Ooh, it I is really want to watch it. incredible. I haven't yeah. like sat through a movie with my like jaw dropped like that in a very long time, but that's much more of a revenge story um, without giving mm -hmm. anything away, right? So there's a clear like hero villain um, and I May Destroy You is challenging because it's a lot, it tells like the more honest story of the subtleties of like intimate partner violence and, and sexual assault and how the like very patriarchal antiquated systems can't keep up with like protecting um, victims um, and survivors. So it's interesting because we can't know exactly why um, I May Destroy You didn't get 
uh, nominated, but because Chadwick Boseman, Daniel Kaluuya, Steve McQueen, like there were black artists who were recognized by the Golden Globes and that's awesome. But this topic, I think my gut feeling about it, like just to kind of put it out there is I think that because it's mostly men um, who, <laughs> you know, are sitting there, it makes them deeply uncomfortable to watch this topic because yeah. they might have participated, their friends do this, they, like they might have done that, like they feel too close to the story in a bad way where like many women probably feel close to it in like they understand what Michaela is going through um, and men go through it too. I don't want to discount that, you know, men aren't also, men are also victims of these types of crimes. Um, but my feeling is that the Hollywood Foreign Press Association was like, ooh, no, no, like this makes me just too uncomfortable to go near. Like it's not um, enjoyable because the, the, I mean, the series is enjoyable in parts in, in like in each episode, there are enjoyable parts and it's, it's funny. Michaela Cole is a funny person, but yeah, it does, each episode does leave you feeling uncomfortable and slightly, it can trigger you in certain ways and I can see how it's not an easy watch, but you know, they're still able to nominate films and TV shows that aren't easy watches. I wonder, you know, why Michaela's story or Michaela's account just do you think do you think they even watched it i i don't know i like i can't imagine they got through it uh if they started it honestly my guess is that they started and it just made them just too uncomfortable because this is the thing right they they've nominated stories about sexual assault before but this is like a very kind of genre breaking show and how they've depicted just the day-to-day -day of living with trauma Mm -hmm. um, it's not like a crime show. It's not a revenge show. It's like none of that. It is just like an honest depiction of someone struggling day to day and trying to get through it. Um, and the system like continuously failing them and, and men continuously failing Michaela and even women failing Michaela. So yes. I think that like that is just a much more difficult thing to watch than like Promising Young Woman where, you know, Carrie Mulligan's putting on some like cool outfits and like playing out some cool revenge stories. There's some like, like needle drops, like some good music where you feel like. Oh, it's, yeah, it's such a, it's such a good movie. I highly recommend it. Um, but anyway, okay. so we'll, we'll, we'll see. I'm curious to see like if we get, if we're ever able to get more insight one day into why the Hollywood Foreign Press Association makes these decisions. I think it is a lot of speculation because they are very, it seems, to, they seem to be pretty mysterious. Um, even the writer, one of the writers of Emily in Paris, like took oh, to yeah. Twitter and the Guardian was just like, I'm horrified. Like, I like, yeah, I'm happy to be nominated, but like that, like, that's great. But this is ridiculous, um, which I really appreciated that. Um, she's like, from self-reflection, I may destroy you is my favorite show of all time. So like, this is ridiculous. Um, also, Ratchet got a nomination, which I wanted to like just the name. Ryan Murphy. Should, Wait, James Ryan Corden Murphy. got nominated for prom. Ryan Murphy continues to like sabotage so many I, things. Why? I don't, I don't know what to tell you, but like, I the thing is, I love Sarah Paulson, so oh, yeah. I can, I can get behind that. And then the other show that on the, that's on the list that I want to recommend people is Unorthodox. Um, yeah, I heard that. That was that won Emmys. So I remember. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, and like very interesting, especially given the last couple of weeks of us talking about like cults and like these kinds of, you know, mm. um, because it's a lot of the same practices, I will say with Hasidic Ju uh, Judaism and like how they target people who try and leave the community. It's a lot of the same tactics. Um, and so Unorthodox does a really beautiful job of like telling some of that story. Um, so I highly recommend that show as well. 
Okay, those are some good recommendations, Mames. Let's take a break. We've been talking for a bit. Um, we'll be right back. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Mames, I think you also had another story for us about Rihanna and India. Yeah, yes. Um, I don't know how much this is a story that has reached the rest of the world, um, but it's really big in India, and I wanted to talk about it because it's just super important to the world right now. Um, right now, there is the biggest labor protest in human history going on in India. Uh, the very, very short version of what's happening is that the Modi government wanted to um, put in some changes to the laws as they pertain to farmers and how they're able to sell their goods um, in a way that would be extremely detrimental to them. It basically makes it easier for corporations to exploit farmers um, and for them to lose a lot of the income and some of the price protection that they have. Um, so hundreds of thousands of Indian farmers, mostly uh, Sikh farmers from Punjab and Haryana, have been um, like surrounding major roads in New Delhi and just kind of like posting up there. Um, and uh, this is, I mean, it's actually when I was in San Francisco a few months ago, uh, we were driving over one of the bridges. I don't know which one it was, but um, there was a ton of traffic. There's like three names. <laughs> it was one of them. It wasn't Golden Gate. It was, it was Bay Bridge. It was Bay Bridge. I don't know. Um, I can barely get around without like Google mapping in cities that I live in. Forget about like whatever. Anyways. So we were crossing Bay Bridge and there was a ton of traffic because thousands of um, Sikh Americans had uh, kind of taken over the Bay Bridge and uh, were post, uh, protesting in solidarity with oh, nice. the farmers in India. So it's been a huge global movement um, and a lot of people are involved and it's gotten a lot of press, but the Modi government has been cracking down pretty heavily, especially um, when there was a riot on Republic, uh, Indian Republic Day. Um, so by crackdown, I mean that they have cut off internet, they are uh, controlling social media, they're throwing journalists and politicians in, in jail for sedition for even reporting on the protests. Um, so this is the kind of climate that's going on. And then uh, Rihanna shows up on February 2nd and tweets an article just being like, why are we talking about this? And she has 100 million uh, followers on Twitter. So it gets a ton of attention and uh, all hell breaks loose, essentially. Um, so if you remember from a couple of episodes ago, the Modi government really uses Bollywood to like push their own narrative. Um, yeah. And so you had a lot of like actors and movie makers and stuff like literally, I was just trying to find it and I couldn't find it again. But there was some tweet that everyone literally copy pasted and shared the same like, we must have unity type of tweet that like clearly the government had sent all of the actors being like, can you just tweet this? But it was verbatim copy paste who, the same tweet. Who, who is the we, like Indians or like supporters of Modi? Like who is the we must have unity? Oh, the actors are saying to the Indian public, like calling for unity in this okay. like chaotic time, right? But the message was clearly like prepackaged by someone else. My guess is the government um, because it's a very Modi friendly uh, tweet. Um, and a lot of people, so that was like the, you know, most of the responses. But then when Rihanna got involved, um, th there is this horrible woman called Kangana Ranaut, and she is an actress in India, and she's like notoriously hardcore, Modi-loving, Hindu nationalist, like nut job, honestly. So she goes in on Rihanna, like 
like slut shaming her and telling her she should doesn't know anything and she shouldn't get involved and she's getting on Twitter and she's getting on news channels and she's just like laying into Rihanna. Not that Rihanna cares. I don't think Rihanna like <laughs> Rihanna did not see this. Replied. She didn't care. Um, but like people were burning effigies of Rihanna in the street. Effigies. Um, it yeah, it like old school nonsense. Um, but the hilarious part was that a lot of people did not know who Rihanna was in India. Like, and the hilarious, like Google search increase and in who is Rihanna? Um, like you can <laughs> see the graph. It's so funny. Um, so you had a lot of like these like Indian farmers being like, I didn't know who Rihanna ma'am was before this, but I really like her now. And it's just really cute. Um, oh, so funny. It was really sweet, but yeah, it's, it's wild. Like people got so angry that Rihanna, she didn't even voice, anything is strong. She literally reshared an article. Um, but anyways, I just, I wanted people to know that that protest is going on. There's a lot of petitions out there that you can sign and ways that you can support. Um, if you want to know more, Trevor Noah has a fantastic, like, I think like 10 minute explanation of what's going on in India. I highly recommend people on, check on it out. On the Daily Show? Yes. Um, okay, we can add it to our I, show notes. We can add to the show notes. It's also on my Instagram story. Like I've shared um, some resources there. So just wanted people to be aware, but the, the Rihanna angle just kind of cracked me up. It was, it was great. It's like a little bit of like a stay out of your lane, like stick to, stick to music or stick to America. Exactly. Yeah. No, that, that's not Rihanna's style. She's actually quite political. Um, <laughs> she, she does not keep her mouth shut. She does she, not. And, and that's why we love her. Um, okay. The, the one thing I, the last thing I want to bring to the conversation that I've been watching slash reading is the, um, well, reading about is the New York Times Britney documentary, Framing Britney Spears. Yeah, uh, It's a great, like 75 minutes or so on Britney Spears. Did you watch it? I honestly can't bring myself to watch it because I get it's it. going to depress the hell out of me. I don't think it's going to depress you. It's so, it's good. I wouldn't say it's like the most amazing documentary I've ever made. I feel like there are a couple of voices that I wish were in the documentary. Not that the New York Times didn't try, but you know, you know, none of the Spears family is involved in the documentary. And, you know, it's a lot of like hearsay because they couldn't involve anyone directly. But um, it, the documentary basically talks about, you know, Britney Spears, her rise, her fall, and the battle to quote unquote, free Britney. Um, I think I, I really recommend it because I think it's a succinct, succinct portrayal of what the public does to these really young women. And it also reminds us of the way that we as the public and the media as well treated Britney and other stars like Lindsay Lohan or Amanda Bynes or Jessica Simpson in the mid 2000s. And um, I think the documentary really lays out like the levels of complicity because you could just have been a member of the public who shared an article from Us Weekly that talked about Britney being an unfit mother. But then you could have also been a paparazzo or a member of the paparazzi who, you know, stalked her. There's this one man who who was like, well, Britney, you know, it's a symbiotic relationship between Britney and the paparazzi. She never wanted us to leave her alone. I mean, she said she wanted us to leave her alone, but like surely she only meant for one day, not like forever. And you can just see him trying to explain his own kind of behavior towards Britney away. And as, as a viewer, you are totally transfixed by the way um, people try and rationalize the way they treated someone like Britney Spears. Um, Shocking that a woman told people what she wanted and they're like, that's not what you that's want. That's not what you... Get out of here. Well, and this, this is what I find really interesting about both, you know, the way you know women are treated in these situations and also the free britney movement so the free britney movement um for those of you who don't know is a movement to um you know use public pressure to um replace uh 
Britney Spears' father, who I think is called Jamie Spears. I forget his name. Yes, it starts with a J. I think so. um, because he is her conservator. She's been put under a conservatorship, which means her father is in charge of her person, and until recently was also in charge of her finances. So, um, because the court has decided that she's not fit to be in charge of herself. And usually conservatorships are reserved for older people, people who are mentally unwell, et cetera, et cetera. But for someone that young and that like in the public, it's, it's a big deal that her father basically controls all her money and all of her movements. Um, so the Free Britney movement was started to try and use public pressure to get like the California courts to remove him, replace him as a conservator, you know, to try and explain that Britney has free will and she should be able to make her own decisions. And it, it's really interesting the way they're portrayed in the documentary to me because on one level, I completely understand where they're coming from because you know the way she's been infantilized by the public and her family, it's very easy to see that like maybe she doesn't have control over her life at the moment. But there's also you know this element of something that I, I learned about called false consciousness. And like false consciousness is tied to philosophy and Marxist theories. Um, I'm more familiar with it, you know, the way people talk about uh, gender in Islam. And essentially, false consciousness denotes a person's inability to recognize inequality or op oppression or exploitation because of the prevalence within the society of views that legitimize the oppression. So, for example, in like the gender in Islamic sphere, when you talk about women who cover, women who wear hijab, there's so many people, you know, especially like if you go to like the West, especially like particularly France, for example, who are like, oh, women who... Muslim women who choose to cover don't know any better. They don't understand that they're being oppressed. And if a Muslim woman says, it is my choice, I have done all the reading and this is what I want to do, there are still people who are like, no, 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 no. She just doesn't get it. She doesn't know she's being oppressed. There's honestly nothing that makes me more frustrated than that right? whole narrative. Um, I've even had this conversation with my own parents where they've told me they wouldn't be happy if I decided to wear hijab. And that's not the thing that I ever considered. Um, but I was like, I'm sorry, I know lots of like well-educated, intelligent women who have like decided for themselves that's what they want. And I don't think that like there's anything backwards about that. So it's, I think this is such a, that's a great example. And I just wanted to share that it's one of those things that gets me like worked up. Um, and yeah. so, you know, you take that example and you apply it to the Brittany case where, you know, there's groups of people, you know, especially the, the county court in LA saying that she doesn't know enough about herself to take care of herself. And then there's also, you know, elements of the Free Britney movement who I, I actually think if Britney came out and said, listen, I'm no longer under my father's, you know, conservatorship. I'm my own person. I actually just want to stay at home and be quiet. I think there are, you know, supporters of the Free Britney movement who would not believe her and would continue to think that she's being oppressed in some way. And like, you know, would continue to like find clues through her Instagram. And like, it's, it's fascinating the way that movement has actually managed to eat itself in many ways. And the documentary does a really good uh, job of like showcasing that. Well, I've spoken a lot. Anyway, there are many villains in the story. There's the media, the public, Diane Sawyer, her father, and uh, one Mr. Justin Timberlake, <laughs> who oh, is an we're early We're going to talk a lot about Justin Timberlake today. Yes, Mr. JT. Unfortunately, a main, a main character of today's story. Um, <sighs> Just an antagonist. Um, so this week, as pressure mounted, he decided to drop a little notes app apology about his actions towards Britney and Janet Jackson. I mean, it's funny to me because, you know, the Britney documentary is going on. People point out that the way Justin treated Britney was terrible, but also the way Justin has treated Janet Jackson and other female stars is terrible. Rather than 
you know, really try and sit back and evaluate how his actions contributed to these women's, like the downfall of these women's careers, he just kind of writes an apology to both of them, apologizing for two separate things. Um, I don't know. Did you read the apology? What did you think? I did. I found it uh, lazy, insincere, and clearly written by someone else or heavily edited by someone else. Um, <laughs> he's using words he doesn't know anything about. Like, it just, maybe I'm a cynic at this point, but when a white man is like, I am a product of this misogynistic patriarchal system, I'm like, do you know any of the words coming out of your mouth, sir? Like, <laughs> no, you don't. Don't pretend like you understand what you're saying. Um, you know, I think, so I, I found it to be lazy and I found it to be insincere. And the fact that it was like, yeah, they lumped, he lumped those two women together, I think is, you know, not, doesn't show a lot of sincerity. And it also to me doesn't show a lot of depth of like reflection of the role he really has played. Um, so much love to Buzzfeed, always doing cutting edge journalism. Someone this week compiled like 30 moments where we didn't hold Justin Timberlake accountable. Um, and he's done so many weird, creepy things. Like his music videos have had a lot of questionable moments I forgot about. Um, he uh, did an accent of Rihanna's mom at the AMAs at her. I don't know if you remember that, but he like no. did Rihanna's mom's accent at Rihanna. Um, no. Yeah, no don't bueno. Don't do another um, race's accent. Just don't do it. Never. Just don't do it. Just be like, Rihanna's mom, you must be so proud. And just say that in your accent. You don't, it's fine. Um, then he, this is the, this is one that cracked me up. Um, so when everyone was posting hashtag times up, he posted hashtag times up, but in the same caption was like, look at my hot wife. He literally called her hot wife. Wait, is, notorious anti-vaxxer Jessica Biel, that yes. hot wife? Okay. <laughs> hot, hot wife, anti-vaxxer, Jessica Biel. They took a selfie. He was like, look at my hot wife. Hashtag times, times up. up. <laughs> it was so bad. Um, so I'm, I'm th this clearly like all of these little things like really add up to someone who has no idea like how bad he is um, or how much he is a quote unquote product of his environment. Um, and so, I mean, you watch the documentary. So tell me like if you agree with this or not. Um, but like, I think the challenging thing is like Justin Timberlake was also really young and also raised in this like really toxic world that Britney was. Um, granted, she was like the direct subject to a lot of that toxicity, but like, he was in that environment too. So I have no doubt that he absorbed a lot of that um, as a young pop star. Um, so I'm sure that that is part of what is to blame. But the problem is, as we've, you know, seen a thousand times, like that's not an excuse. Like, if you've yeah. learned this toxic behavior, you have to actively unlearn it. Um, and, and this note to me does not reflect that. Yeah, all. notes notes app apology does not reflect that. And with Janet Jackson, I find the Janet Jackson story even more interesting. And that's what we're going to get into in the later half of the episode, um, because I think it's an interesting intersection of politics and pop culture and the way, you know, the way uh, Justin reacted, the way Janet reacted and the way, you know, the audience reacted. So when we get back from our break, which we're going to take right now, right, Mames? Yes. Yep, let's take a break. And then we come back. Um, we're going to talk about uh, JT and Janet Jackson and the 2004 Super Bowl um, in a little more detail. Let's get into it. Yeah, let's get into it. What happened at the 2004 Super Bowl, Miriam? All right. Well, the facts you're all dying to know about, the sports of it all, just to set the scene. 
So it is February 1st, 2004. We're in my hometown of Houston, Texas um, at the Reliant Stadium. It's the Panthers versus the Patriots. It's the Panthers' first time ever at the Super Bowl. Um, And we all know Tom Brady. We all dislike Tom Brady. Um, He has been playing football for so long. He is at the 2004 Super Bowl. And he's like, like he's th- that was 16 years ago, 17 years ago. And he was playing oh and that was his second MVP win, like in 2004. So he's been playing for a bajillion years. And I just wish he would go to Mar-a-Lago and golf and leave us all alone. Um, he and Giselle. You can like, you could see like during, I watched this year's Super Bowl, but like, and it was very boring. Um, it was like a very boring game. And actually the 2004 Super Bowl is considered one of the best Super Bowls in terms of like football ever. Not okay. that anyone ever remembers that, but um, <laughs> there were other things. In Tom Brady's yeah. locker, there were other things going on. But uh, in Tom Brady's locker, you can see a MAGA hat just like sitting in his locker. Oh yeah, um, he's a big, so he's proud, out and proud MAGA like yeah. person. Um, interesting, interesting politics on Tom Brady. But okay, yeah. so February first, two thousand and four, you're in your hometown. Yes. Okay. Um, and 144 million viewers are watching the Super Bowl, which is at that time the highest ever for a Super Bowl game. Mm-hmm. Um, so huge game, lots of people looking, looking, watching, whatever. Um, and the halftime show, always a fun time, you know, whatever. Um, I at first did not want to rewatch it, and then I'm very glad that I did rewatch it because it was such a ride. It's, I was it's like, 11 minutes on YouTube. Please go back and rewatch it if you have the time. Everyone it's should amazing. watch it. Yeah. It if you don't want to like Simpson in like some she looks dukes. 12 years old yeah yeah what is she, <laughs> she and like in some like limited two like sequins outfit like, sequins, like yeah. it's just it's it's rough um the production quality is clearly like 16 years ago 17 years ago but um it was really it was actually super fun um Janet Jackson opens a show um P. Diddy performs, Nelly performs, Kid Rock performs, wearing, like, this American flag poncho thing, um, and, like, I forgot, like, Hot in Here is one of my favorite, like, Guilty Pleasure songs. It's It's such a a fun song. song. It's a great song. Um, So, it was, yeah, um, one of the things that I just found really funny in my research, so P. Diddy, like I said, performed, um, and when Nipplegate happened, which we're going to talk about right now, but he was really upset, not just because, you know, it was a stressful thing but he's like I spent six months preparing for the Super Bowl and no one knows I performed (laughs) (laughs) well that's the truth whenever anyone talks about 2004 Super Bowl I just imagine it was Janet Jackson only and then Justin came in towards the end I did not know that it starts with Janet P Diddy comes in he performs uh, Bad Boys um, I guess for the movie and then a bunch of cheerleaders come in and they're singing instead of hey Mickey you're so fine they're singing hey Diddy you're so fine hey Diddy yeah yeah and there's a whole sequence and he's it's dancing so my siblings and I have a running joke about how P Diddy can't dance like every music video P Diddy is in he like tries a little bit he like moves his shoulder but P Diddy actually cannot dance and um it's it's very much apparent in that in, in that video um of the Super Bowl performance and also Kid Rock you could you well, could just tell the reflection is Kid Rock can't sing <laughs> you can tell the producers were like if P Diddy okay, can't dance Kid Rock can't sing we're usually like this is getting a bit too R&B. It's a bit too hip hop. We need some country. Let's just put Kid Rock and Jessica Simpson in there, and then that will be fine. Like you could see the mathematics that the producers did on the show because Kid Rock being there made no sense. 
Well, so that's the thing is that as the, as I was watching in the beginning of the video and like it would occasionally pan to like the white girls in the audience, like watching the performance, like, you know, they have some live people like actually there in front of the stage. I was like, they don't know any of these songs. There's no way they oh, know wait, any of these songs. Hot and then Kid Rock shows deal. up. Hot in Here was hot a big deal. Hot Here was a big time. one. But yeah. I, I mean, apart from Hot in Here, I'm not convinced they knew many of the other songs. Like Janet um, Jackson's All it, for The whole you. thing was also yeah. just, just so painfully. Yeah. The whole thing was just so painfully early 2000s, though. Like, so many low-rise pants and ugly, like, those weird messenger cap hat things that people wore a lot in music videos. Like, what are those? Like, so many of those. Um, I found the yeah, comparison. Just a lot in... of middle school flashbacks. The, the one thing that's been consistent, though, is the difference in um, clothing choice for Justin and, and um, Janet, because they come together at the end of the performance. And just as you see, even today, you'll see the female artists like dressed up, looking like the most beautiful bird, you know, looking like a goddess that just landed on Earth. And then the guy is wearing like baggy pants and a shirt and maybe, maybe, maybe a ring. And that's it. <laughs> His outfit was like horrifyingly lazy like I was just like you can't tell me someone put like a lot of thought into this ensemble it like he there's just no woke way up and was like I'm going on on screen with millions of people sure he I'll looked swear. he looked like uh, he looked like a college kid who had woken up hung over and was like I really need a breakfast sandwich that was <laughs> that was the look and on the way to getting the breakfast sandwich he was like oh let me just perform at the Super Bowl yeah exactly um which tells you everything you need to know about the state of how we think about men versus women. But anyways, it gets worse, everyone, um, in terms of how we think about Justin versus Janet. Um, so of course, the famous incident of the 2004 Super Bowl halftime show, um, during the, like, at the end um, of the performance, Justin comes on uh, to perform Rock Your Body. And at the line, Bet I'll Have You Naked by the end of the song, he rips off her shirt and her right breast is exposed for a half a second um and there's like a little nipple shield situation whatever going on but um that 0.5 seconds upended the world for a little while um well, the there. u.s um, maybe not the world because i remember um i remember at least in nigeria like janet jackson's album that came out after this incident like did well like i never knew about nipplegate or the wardrobe malfunction i was like oh janet jackson produced a new album whereas in the u.s it was like oh, we have to blacklist her. She's terrible for exposing herself on TV. But yeah, um, people kind of lost their minds a little bit. And we're going to get into that um, in a little bit. Um, but one Janet Jackson story I really like to share just before we start this, because I just think it's, it's, it's an important story, is that I think a lot about how she married recently. She married this wealthy Qatari billionaire, and they had signed a prenup. And the prenup had payout periods at the five and 10-year mark anyway she married him she moved to qatar to be with him you know had a child at age 50 which is a really big deal she had a child very late in her life and then when she got tired of all she simply divorced him but it was right after the five-year period and because she'd had a child with him she still got like 200 200 million dollars after the divorce and then she took that money to launch her tour and then just kept living life anyway i just like that story i'm very proud of her for that a businesswoman her hustle, her hustle can't be, can't be shamed. It's very impressive. It's very impressive. She got tired of Qatar. She was like, I don't want to be here. I, I'm going to leave. Take my baby with me. Who wants to hang out that long in Qatar anyways? Like, there's not that much to do there. Hey, as far hey. As I can tell. You don't know if we have a huge Qatari base. I'm sorry if Miriam has offended anyone. 
Um, Okay, let's get back to uh, the wardrobe malfunction in question, or nipplegate, as we're calling it here. So, you know, as you explained, um, Justin took off a, a plate from her outfit, exposed her right breast, exposed her right breast, and essentially um, really, really caused quite a ruckus. Um, and in the aftermath of this, Justin kind of threw Janet under the bus. He maintained that he was shocked by what happened and implied that Janet and her team had sort of set him up. Now, there's loads of oral histories on what happened, and what the story seems to be is that during the dress rehearsals for this particular um, for this particular show, uh, when he said, but I'll have you naked by the end of the song, the original, um, the original plan was to rip off her skirt, and they kept trying it and trying it and trying it to do it in a way that was like sexy but not too revealing, and up until like the final rehearsal, it just wasn't possible, so they nixed the idea. Then after the final rehearsal, but before the, um, before the actual performance, Janet's team was like, oh, hey, Justin, we figured out the skirt issue. It's actually going to be a breastplate and it's not gonna be that, um, it's not gonna be as revealing. And so Justin was like, okay, I'll just go with that. Now, I don't know if that's just Justin's side of the story. I also don't know if that's also MTV's side of the story because they were the ones producing the show and in that story, they are not complicit at all because Janet and her team managed to do it after final rehearsal. So they weren't able to see what happened. But um, it doesn't even really matter who, who, whose idea was it. The fact is both teams said okay and they did it. Um, so while like Justin, you know, he apologized in some ways, he still was able to perform at the Grammys the week after. Meanwhile, Janet had to apologize on TV um, she had to like say that it was her fault. It wasn't MTV's fault. And then she was essentially blacklisted for many years from um, uh, Viacom, uh, which is the station that owned MTV because, because of all the stuff that happened after it. So um, there's a journalist, uh, Rich Jeswiak of Gawker, who actually has a really good timeline of sort of Justin's response to the quote unquote wardrobe malfunction. Um, so like literally right after some journalists like found him and he was like super peppy about it. He's like, ooh, wasn't that fun? Like gotta give you something to talk about. Like that was where he started like right after yeah, the Yeah, like it was part of like a publicity few hours later, stunt. Yeah. Yeah, he was like, like he was, he was at least acting like he was in on it and he was like, see, we gotta keep things interesting and spicy for you. Like feeling very like gleeful about the whole thing. A few hours after that, he was, saying it was regrettable, it was not intentional, he starts walking back from it. And a few days later, he basically considers himself a victim of all of this attention. And he's like, I'm super embarrassed, like I shouldn't have been put in the spot, like really making himself, yeah, the victim of the story. Um, and to your point about his uh, appearance at the Grammys, he actually, the only way he was allowed to be there is if he did like an apology statement, but then they're like, yeah, now you can come. So he gave some like, insincere half-assed apology and then was able to like go to the Grammys um but to your point Janet had to jump through a lot more hoops 
um, and had to be a lot more like sincere and all of that. Um, mm-hmm. And the third demure. fun fact I wanted to share. Yeah. Oh yeah, very demure. She had to do both written and video apologies. Like it was like a whole production to like have her go on record apologizing for it. Um, but uh, Janet Jackson became the most searched person in history and got herself a Guinness World Record, which I'm sure was for the dream for her. I mean, yeah. this, the search aspect is interesting. So um, just in the political aspect of, of what happened, the Federal Communication Commission, FCC, had to step in because they received over 500,000 complaints about this wardrobe malfunction, which, uh, you know, that number didn't seem that high to me. A lot of Americans love to complain a lot, but I think it was high in comparison with what had what what they usually get during the Super Bowl. So um, it was actually Colin Powell's son, you know, Colin Powell, the former Secretary of State under Bush. Yep. His son was in charge of the FCC at the time, and he was the one that supported Congress passing a bill to increase the fine for incidents of indecency from just $32,500 to $325,000 in the aftermath of the Super Bowl performance. Because people were so like... So a 10, 10 time increase, like yeah. a tenfold increase. Wow. Exactly. Because there was so much like morality policing around it too. Because remember, this was during the Bush administration, 2004. You know, it was down in Texas that this happened, you know, in God's country. And it was considered like so indecent that, that they, like everyone involved had to be punished. And by everyone, I mean Janet Jackson. So the FCC, and the way, the way her punishment happened is like the FCC fined Viacom... Um, which the the uh, broadcasting station they fined them five hundred and fifty thousand dollars for the wardrobe malfunction. It was the largest fine against a broadcaster in history. And while Justin's career kept rising, Janet's kept suffering because her album debuted a month after this. But because she'd been blacklisted by Viacom, um, uh, their subsidiary companies of MTV and VH1 wouldn't play her song. And that would mean that, that, you know, no plays means no money, which means no reach. And you can see how quickly someone's career could fall from that. Yeah, there, um, I was reading about the spike that can kind of happen post Super Bowl performance. Like it's been mm-hmm. big names, Katy Perry, Lady Gaga, like Beyonce, it's like not unknowns who are going in to do this. So, you know, it's a little hard to give a direct, like people make money from it, but mm-hmm. Um, there, Billboard did do some analysis. So like in 2015, um, they did an analysis of the previous year. So Bruno Mars's performance in 2014 and then Beyonce in 2012. And you can see there is a spike in like music consumption. Yeah, there's a spike in consumption after they perform at the Super Bowl. Um, same thing that like, like uh, Reuters saw the same thing with uh, Katy Perry after she performed. So, you know, so for example, with Katy Perry, she hadn't released a new album or done a tour, but her uh, work kind of, they saw a 92% surge after her performance um, and her you know, halftime show saw millions of views. So there is something to be said of like, you perform at a halftime show and there is a significant spike that happens. And to your point, like that's significant from like a financial perspective um, mm-hmm. of making those kinds of sales. And I know she did release albums afterwards that didn't do as well um, because part of what, uh, you know, MTV essentially wanted to like not take the blame. So the CEO uh, of the at the time of MTV, Tom Freston, said that it was Janet Jackson who had engineered it, that they didn't sign off on it, that they were going to punish her by blacklisting her music videos from MTV, which is a big deal. They wouldn't play her songs on any radios uh, that are Viacom owned. So like she not only kind of lost out um, 
because of the way that this played out financially. Like uh, she didn't get that same spike that Justin did, but she was actively kind of blocked um, from these major channels as well. So it was like, it was kind of a double hitter for her, um, which is a big deal. Well, and also, you know, you think she's from a very, very famous, very powerful musical family. And you wonder, oh, what did Joe Jackson, what did Jermaine Jackson, what did Michael Jackson say at the time? And, you know, I learned that like Michael had recently been arrested at the time. So the family just didn't want to cause another ruckus. So they were willing to kind of push her under the bus as well by like not standing up for her or making, um, making noise about the way she was treated. So like, you know, she initially apologized on TV, but she later said on Oprah that she regretted taking the blame because America was far too keen to put the blame on her. Um, she also felt that Timberlake had not done enough to defend her and had truly thrown her under the bus. The reason I'm laughing is because have you recently listened to Akon's amazing song, Sorry, Put the Blame on Me? Did you say Akon? Akon. Okay, this is from like late 2000s. Do you remember when Akon got in trouble because he went to a show in like Miami or something and he brought a girl on stage and he like, you know, was grinding with her and a lot of sexual dancing. Turns out the girl was way underage. And so it caused such a huge thing that like his, because it was around the Sweet Escape, you know, the Sweet Escape with Gwen Stefani, the yeah um yeah, he was going on tour <laughs> i love that song he was going on tour with her but literally the uh, entire tour had to be canceled because the backlash was so bad because akon was literally grinding and humping i do remember an that. underage woman so recently our friend albert um you know he came to visit me like a year and a half ago and we played the song and he was like Aisha this is actually a very messed up song because akon is like you can put the blame on me even though the blame's on you he goes back to like actually blaming the woman and her father and the club that let her in and like everyone else but himself um so i mean this is just an aside but i i, I re- whenever i read the words you know put the blame on me i just laugh because the akon song is genuinely you know it's 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 a man not realizing that he should take responsibility for his actions and just trying to push it on everyone else um yeah maybe don't like pull a random girl on stage if you don't know how old she is like no that but feels he's, like a it, it feels like a you problem, but he was like, how should I know? She was, she had loads of makeup on and the club was an over 18 club. So really it's not my fault. I'm just an entertainer. Actually, I'm going to play a clip of the song here because it's actually very funny. <laughs> Okay, back to Janet. Um, Her career has surged again. You know, she's been going on tour, like I mentioned. She got that nice little prenup settlement. And uh, she also has been giving, has been, she's, she's been getting her flowers. People have been nominating her for things and like giving her all these lovely awards. But it's really hard to overlook the way that she was treated at the time. And I think that's why Justin felt the need to include her in his silly apology because he knows that he also wronged her by not standing up for her and by making it seem like it was all her fault. I mean, let's also remember that Justin Timberlake was invited back to perform at the Super Bowl 14 years later. Um, So, which I I forgot, but this was like 
2018, and this is post um, that troll song. I got oh a feeling. My goodness. You know yes. No, it's um can't, can't, stop, the can't stop the feeling. That's how he yeah. ended it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so like he had his like resurgence, and like I mean, two thousand four loves the love sex. Uh, what is that album? Two thousand four was justified. Uh, Future sex yeah. love sounds is two thousand six. Future sex love sounds hadn't come out yet. Yeah. So that came out a year or two later. So he has had a lot of like success since two thousand four. Um, twenty twenty. Yeah, what was what was that called? Twenty twenty experience. He has some oh, good songs. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, he, he has does. great he, producers. Pharrell, he, Timbaland, amazing producers. Yeah. I mean, him and Timbaland, everything they've done together, I'm just like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Like, such a dream team. But 14 years later, he was invited back to perform. And there was, I forgot this, but there was a petition that circulated and like yeah. lots of action on Twitter of like to rescind his in- invitation because of how the how much of a double standard there was at the time and how much he didn't have her back, um, her being Janet Jackson, obviously. And so- it is just so interesting that like it, it was just a, it was a bold move on the part of the Super Bowl to invite him back um, after and for him to say that. yes and and yeah, yeah. The, the pressure was definitely there. Uh, one yeah. final so, point like, that would have been a good point to apologize if you had a genuine if you had genuine remorse for how things went down with Janet Jackson. Twenty eighteen would have been a great time to been like you know what like it would have been a great time. To also invite her with him, you know. I was going to say that would have been an amazing gesture, but like, would she have said yes? I don't know. But even just at at least trying, because I don't think he was in any sort of communication with her. But at least saying, "Come back on stage with me," you know, let's make this right. But instead, he just he put like a hologram of Prince up there, even though Prince's estate was like, "Please don't do this," Um, and um, and that was it. And he sang "Can't Stop the Feeling." That was a weird Super Bowl. Half the time show. I haven't really liked a lot of them. I mean, one of the things I was reading was like a lot of people have hoped that someone like Lady Gaga or Beyonce or like Coldplay was such a like safe, boring choice. Mm-hmm. But like they keep picking very safe artists and people who like even like the non-safe artists they're hoping will go in and like be bold and a little bit political. Um, and none of them are doing that. Like the halftime show, very rarely. I, I very rarely get a lot out of them, I will say. I, oh, no, the, I watched yeah, the J-Lo, last year. Shakira. Yeah, the, I was about to say, I was going to say, minus Shakira. last year. Let me, let me catch myself. Shakira and J-Lo, unbelievable. I, like, like, rewatch that once a month. It's it's so good. Let's get loud, people. Let's really get yeah. loud. Um, well, uh, remember when J-Lo. she brought out Let's Get La- Let's Get Loud at the inauguration? Like, she just <laughs> snuck in a Let's Get Loud. I was so Mary, proud. When I'm at work, there are days where I'm just like, doing work and I'm you know kind of tired and I just think to myself Aisha let's get loud let's get loud <laughs> and psych myself back up again um no, speaking of JLo remember how in our JLo episode we talked about how Google Images was created because of the demand to see her in that green Versace dress so I didn't know it but um in 2004 a man in Silicon Valley named Jawed Karim decided that he wanted to make it easier to find a Janet Jackson's wardrobe malfunction clip so he and his friends created YouTube Wow. And it kind of just brings Janet's, it all back. Janet's nipple changed the world. Well, but, but the thing is, it, it, it all brings it all back. Like, if you think about, like, the reason why Google Images was created is because you wanted to see more of, a nick, of an almost naked woman's body. The reason why YouTube, or one of the reasons why YouTube was created is because you wanted to, again, um, kind of leer at another woman's body. It's just, it brings it back to our initial discussion about the way women are treated um, and the way, you know, their agency is kind of taken away from them in this, like, creepy way and I don't even know if I have a bow for this like to end this conversation on but it just 
the fact that 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 was one of the reasons YouTube was created made me physically ill. You know, it's it is creepy how the male gaze has like been commoditized in this way. Like it, it like that's what happened is like the male gaze was like, I need more. And then YouTube was born. Like, that's what happened. It's pretty crazy. I mean, I think this was not intentional in sort of how we wove these stories together. Um, Truly, this was like Aisha and I listing off all the things we just felt really strongly that we wanted to talk about today. But I think there's definitely a theme that runs through, right? Which is this idea of these powerful institutions, whether it's uh, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association or MTV or NFL, like this refusal to take responsibility, this um, desire to like put the responsibility on someone, someone else, anyone else, but like the like refusal to take any kind of ownership, and it's always or and even uh, Britney Spears, right? Like with the how, with how the press have treated her, it is so much displacing and shoving responsibility in other people, and women are always the victims of that. Like women are just the ones who are kind of left to deal with the fallout of that kind of behavior. Um, Britney has lost out on how much of her life, how much of her financials and how much of our freedom. Uh, Michaela Cole not getting her uh, recognition, Janet losing out on years of potential success um, and having been shunned by the music industry for a little while there. Like all of that stuff kind of stems from the same, the same kind of lack of responsibility um, and lack of ownership. And it's, it's actually mind boggling. We, I, we didn't intend it to be a theme today, but I think that that's sort of what's emerged. Uh, today. And I think, you know, it's obviously an uphill battle to try and um, fight all of these different societal ills and, you know, being, I would say like being aware of it is the first step. And I think being conscious of the way we speak about celebrities, you know, female celebrities, public figures actually helps because sometimes you might not think that you're contributing to the problem, but, but perhaps you are. I'm sure there are people in 1997, 1998 who thought that their, um, the way they spoke about Monica Lewinsky and the way they um, treated the Clinton impeachment was completely normal. But I'm sure you'd look back now and think, actually, you know, the way that 24-year-old intern was treated was not, was not right. And, you know, I think, I'm hoping, you know, in 2020, if the wardrobe malfunction happened again, we would be having a completely different discussion. But I don't know. You know, Miley Cyrus and Robin Thicke, what was that, 2013? It, it was all about Miley Cyrus and the way she, I mean, there were, there were legitimate criticisms against Miley Cyrus, but when it came to, like, her twerking at the VMA stage, that was... The, the fines that yeah. were levied, it was about, you know, Miley, not Robin Thicke, who was also there, also participating in the act. I mean, the FCC got complaints about Shakira and JLo last year. There was a guy who <laughs> sued the NFL or the FCC or someone for, like, being too aroused during that Super Bowl, which I just think Okay, it was probably Bad Bunny's hilarious. performance. This guy is, like, blaming it on JLo and Shakira. It was probably Bad yeah, Bunny's yeah, performance. It was I definitely feel like Bad that was Bunny the most got provocative. Him, got of... his gear. So I, I do think that, you know, last year... There were people who complained or whatever, but you know, there was not the kind of like backlash on decency um, or anything. There was definitely like those strains of conversation happened. People were like, that was an inappropriate performance for the Super Bowl. But for the most part, that wasn't like a mainstream view as far as I could see um, compared to like with Janet Jackson. Um, and I think the other thing that I want to emphasize that you were saying is we can talk about the Golden Globes or Britney or the Super Bowl halftime show as these like petty little pop culture things but like all of 
like the goal of this podcast is to highlight how each of those kind of seemingly innocuous, like um, kind of pop culture fluffy things are actually incredibly significant to how we think about our world at large, right? Um, these things are not happening in a vacuum. The way we treated Janet Jackson didn't happen in a vacuum. Um, the way we treated Britney, um, the way like people are even treating Rihanna in India, like all of these things like are not happening in a vacuum. So it is significant. We should talk about it and be aware of it, of how these themes play out in pop culture, because it sort of speaks to like a larger trend that we should all be aware of and talking about. Um, and the more you hold people accountable, you know, hopefully the fewer of these incidents they are. So like now I'm curious with the amount of backlash that we got uh, or that the Hollywood Foreign Press Association got, for example, um, what that means for the nominations next year. Like, I maybe hold they'll, my breath. <laughs> I'm not gonna hold my breath. I wouldn't hold um, my breath on, on those people, but But yeah. I'm curious, like maybe, like they are, they're now nominating a lot more people of color than they used to. Like that is true. Um, that's something. Regina King was nominated. They also nominated a lot more uh, female directors. There you go. Is, so like, awesome. I think those like hashtags and all these, these discussions like do add up to like some incremental shifts. If they're genuine, uh, that's a separate question. I don't think that I care if they're genuine, if they're making the shift, like that's great. Um, yeah, I don't know. But it's, it's interesting. And I think we should just keep paying attention to it and keep talking about it but it's not petty stuff. It like, I think it really does matter. So hence this thank podcast. <laughs> hence this podcast. It's kind of a funny story. Well, thank you for sharing your thoughts with me on that. That, that was interesting. I'm glad we got to go down this kind of memory lane situation with the 2000s. Very retro, football. like late 90s, early 2000s uh, discussion points today. But do you, do you have a favorite Super Bowl performance? Like not, I like, I really like, I mean, J-Lo and Shakira if, of recent memory, like, I thought, I thought The weekend did, like, had some cool, like, set choices, but it wasn't, like, anything spectacular. He I... made $7 million of his own money to, what? like, create that show. Yeah, he put in $7 million of his own dollars, like, for that. I didn't so, even watch it. Yeah, it was, like, I, there were some really cool set choices, like, the, they created this very cool effect of, like, people standing in like the Manhattan skyline or like apartments and stuff like it was they had some cool stuff but I just think that the the weekend is just like he hasn't been relevant for a little while he's a bit of a who like he's a them but he is a who he he's he's shifting a little bit to a who he was yeah. a them and he's he's like living in that gray area between them and who, them and who yeah. um like when he was singing I was like oh yeah I forgot he did all these songs like these are catchy but like and again, I thought I thought it was a creative like take on like pandemic concert. Like everyone was wearing masks and like like go check it out and like tell me next time what you think. But um, I won't be checking it out. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm gonna go on YouTube and like start typing "Weekend Super Bowl" and then remember, oh, the Beyonce Bruno Mars Super Bowl exists. I'm gonna watch that instead. That but was the, a really fun one. That was fun because it was Coldplay's Super Bowl performance, but no one remembers that Coldplay was part of it. <laughs> Was that the all the same Super Bowl? It was all the same Super Bowl. Coldplay did like no. 16 minutes. And then Mark Ronson, Bruno Mars, and Beyonce came in at the end. But only, people only remember the end because it was I so fun. Because I could have sworn Punk. those were two separate. I could have sworn those were two separate Super Bowls. Because I do remember the Coldplay performance with like the flowers. And the, it was like the year they the were color. a lot of Indian appropriation. Yeah, there like, was like, yeah, it was a bit. Mm. There was, it was a lot of Indian appropriation, which is why I remember it in a lot of like hippie flowers. 
And then I also remember the Beyonce Bruno Mars one, but I thought those were separate Super Bowls. It's the Bowls. same thing. Beyonce dropped Formation on uh, February 7th, 2016. And then the Super Bowl was February 8th, 2016. And every, I remember I knew all the lyrics by the next day. And I was like ready to perform alongside with her. And because she dropped the, the video and the song, and it was just such like, Formation was a cultural reset in many ways. Like no one, like, because everyone knew Beyonce was coming up. Like the Coldplay part was nice, but everyone was like, okay, when is Beyonce coming to perform this song? Um, but yeah, I think that's my favorite Super Bowl performance. I can just watch yeah. again and again and again. Although um, Missy Elliott showing up, she shows up to Katy Perry's in like 2014 or something. Yes, or 2015. that was also fun. That was kind that of That section. Remember, yeah. remember uh, Shark? The shark, left, left shark. Left shark. Yeah. That was the age of the left. Like, so I think there's like fun iconic moments within these different shows yeah. that are really fun. Um, but I think JLo Shakira, like beginning to end, had oh. me like on the floor. Every, I was just like, on every the floor, second was classic JLo song that classic. she performs. <laughs> you like what I did there? <laughs> I see you. I see you. Um, uh, okay. Well, I think we've come to the end of another episode, names. We have. Thank you all for listening again to our chaotic energy um, and our love of all of these topics. Um, if you are uh, a fan, please do rate, review, subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, we're also active on social media. Aisha, where can they find us on find said us, media? Yeah, at Kind of Funny Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And um, they can also email us at, email us at kindoffunnypodcast at gmail.com. And um, perhaps uh, oh, and we'll also be sharing the link for people to kind of uh, give their thoughts on Namaste Wahala because yes. I'm really excited to, um, to uh, listen to people's thoughts on it. I'm going to watch it maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow. So yeah. Yeah. We'll see you guys again in two weeks. Have Bye. a great week. Bye.